This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3293 for Wednesday, the 17th of March 2021. Today's show is entitled, HPR RPG Club Reviews Dungeon Raiders, and is part of the series Tabletop Gaming. It is the 250th show of CLA 2, and is about 54 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, CLA 2 Benny, and McNally Review NOSRDND Clone. This episode of HPR is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to Archive.org forward slash donate. You are listening to Hacker Public Radio. My name is Klaatu and in this episode... I talked to Benny and McNallu about Dungeon Raiders, a simple tabletop RPG that we played in order to review for the Hacker Public Radio RPG Club, which you're invited to play in at any time if you're interested. Keep an eye on the mailing list for more information. So, the Hacker Public Radio mailing list. So, the Dungeon Raiders is a maybe a 30-page booklet written, committed to the public domain, written by Brent Newhall, a game designer I quite like. He says in his introduction, and this is a quote, I wrote Dungeon Raiders to experience the construction of a classic Dungeons & Dragons retro clone. I wanted to mold a simple system out of the earliest editions of D&D. What would it look like? So, in other words, when he's saying a retro clone, he is attempting in this booklet to recreate the feeling of very, very early Dungeons & Dragons gameplay. And apparently he succeeds. Point of interest, I've never quite understood this this concept that old-school gaming was a simpler style of of gameplay, because in my memories, uh, well, I'd never played D&D as a kid, but I did build a lot of D&D characters. I wasn't allowed to play, so I just built characters. And in my mind, that was a very long and drawn-out process. And you'll hear me discover why there's a difference between my memories and a lot of other people's memories around old-school gaming. Uh, You'll hear that in the review. uh, You'll hear me and McNally sort of reverse-engineer that. Okay, so this booklet is about 31 pages, the rules only take up about 11 pages, and few of those are full pages. So uh, the, I could literally just read the rules to you right now, and that is one of the huge advantages of this gaming system. So I, I kind of will just do that. So you, when you sit down to build a character, you need a, a piece of paper so that you can write down your stats, your, your little statistics of your character. And you have first to choose a class. Class is like a job or a type of of character. So you can be a fighter, a rogue, a wizard, or a cleric. And if you're a fighter, you have eight health points. You attack with an eight-sided die, and all of your damage gets a free plus one to it. So anytime you deal damage, you'll, you'll, you'll add one more than what you roll on your damage dice. If you're a rogue, you have six health points. Your attack, you, you attack with a six-sided die, and you have some bonuses to to some special abilities that you'll do, such as looking for traps, or moving quietly, or picking locks, and that sort of thing. If you're a wizard, you have four health points. You attack with a four-sided die, 
and you have a specialty involving the fact that you cast spells. You use magic. If you're a cleric, you have five health points. You attack with a six-sided die, and once again, your special ability is that you get to choose. Is that you get to um, cast spells granted to you by your god. And that's the first step. You you choose a class. You choose one of those four classes, and then you roll three six-sided die six times. What that does is it covers strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. These are known as your ability scores or your attributes. Those are the six standardized dungeons or or classic Dungeons and Dragons attributes that pervasive that that is pervasive through many different game systems anything that's taken its cue from D&D generally has either those exact six attributes or something that's that that's quite quite close to those or inspired by those anyway so you roll 3 six-sided die for each one of those and then you jot down the score that you receive next to each attribute so for instance you might have i don't know 15 in strength and 12 in in dexterity and 14 in in constitution and 13 in wisdom and so on. At various points during the game, the game master asks you to make a check against some of these ability scores. For instance, if you're trying to move very quietly, then your game master might ask you to make a dexterity check. To, to check whether you are being agile and dexterous enough to, to do something with stealth. So you'll roll a d20, that's a 20-sided die, and if you, if you roll a number that is less than or equal to your ability score, then you succeed. So for instance, if I had rolled on my 3-6-sided die for my dexterity, 14 then I would roll my d20 now, and if it's anywhere up to 14, then I've succeeded. I am successfully very, very stealthy, and the game master would proceed with the game accordingly. If I roll a 16, or a 17, or 18, then or 19, uh, then the game master proceeds under the assumption that my character was not successfully silent. Some some noise was made. Some if there's an enemy nearby, that enemy would notice that character moving through the room or or whatever the the scenario is. Now, if you roll a twenty, that's what people generally call a natural twenty, meaning it's just a it's a twenty that you rolled on the die. You didn't have to add any bonus points to that or anything. It just comes up twenty. Then it's an automatic success, even though it's above all the numbers. Twenty is magic. If you roll that. That that grants you success to what whatever you you have done. Okay, so that's the ability scores and the, your 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 attributes. You next choose an alignment. That's lawful good, good chaotic good, lawful neutral chaotic, lawful evil evil or chaotic evil. And you choose that to kind of guide you as you play the character through the game. A lawful good character might be very inclined to follow rules and to do the 
the, the right thing morally, whereas someone who's maybe uh, neutral just wouldn't care one way or the other. Um, this also has effects sometimes in, in, in magic, because some magical spells will target creatures that are good, but be ineffective against creatures who are evil. Or they might be able to affect someone who's lawful, but ineffective upon someone who's chaotic, or, or whatever. So that's kind of important. And then finally, the last rule, pretty much the, the last rule set, is combat. And combat in this game works um, around the target number of four. So if you're trying to attack a creature, you roll a six-sided... You know, sorry, you roll your attack dice. Your attack dice is whatever was listed by your character class when you were choosing what kind of character you wanted to play. So if you're a fighter, remember I said that they had some number of health points and their attack die was an eight-sided die. The rogue had a six-sided die. A wizard had a four-sided die. The cleric had a six-sided die. So you would roll that. If you roll a four or greater on your six-sided die, then you successfully hit the creature that you were attacking. And then you roll another d6 to figure out how badly you damaged them. This system is kind of neat because rolling a 4 or greater on a d8, on an 8-sided die, is easier than rolling a 4 or greater than on a 4-sided die, meaning that the fighter has a greater chance of hitting creatures than, say, a wizard, who doesn't really necessarily know how to use a sword all that well, but certainly has a bunch of spells that he could cast and do damage that way instead. So it's kind of a cool a cool little system, and of course, as you level up or find different equipment, there might be numbers that you get to apply to those rolls. So even if you did just roll a 3, maybe you're using a sword that has a plus 1 to it, and so suddenly your 3 becomes a 4 and it becomes a hit. Isn't that nice? Those are all the rules of the game. You now know how to play Dungeon Raiders. This is a very cool little system. It is super simple. As you can tell, it can be explained in about five minutes. You can build a character in about five minutes. Here's the Hacker Public Radio RPG official review. Let's everyone roll for initiative. In this game, we rolled just a d6, I think. Isn't that correct? I think so, yeah. I I just rolled a one, so I guess McNally goes first. I rolled four. (laughs) Cool. Well, how did you like the character build process? Well, it was extremely easy uh, and rapid. Um, And I built a character because I was being somewhat absent-minded. I uh, got my dates bottled up, and so I hadn't built a character or read the rules or anything. So, yeah, it took almost no time to learn and literally minutes to construct a character. So as this was billed as a sort of lightweight role-playing game, it did exactly what it said in the tin. Very impressive. Yeah, I mean, it consisted of what? Rolling for your for your abilities and choo- if you were a, choosing your class, whether you're a fighter, a magic user, or a thief, pretty much. And then if there was any other thing that you had to do, like choosing a spell, you chose your spell. Uh, yeah, it was. And I think the only thing that about it. It was, it was so simple that it seemed to be, I chose my class, then rolled, and just, I mean, I don't know, maybe I didn't look at the rules closely, but I just rolled and then put the number next to the um, attribute, strength, dex, you know, in the order that they um, uh, that they came. So it was a good bit of luck that I first mm. of all chose a wizard and ended up with my highest score being intelligence both times yeah. I had to generate a character. Yeah. 
Benny, what did you think? Especially for me, it was extremely easy because I chose a fight, the fighter class and it didn't have any spells or anything. So it basically only consisted of like five rolls of three d6s to figure out your deck strength and so on and of course this can turn out in a pretty bad character i mean in the end you could have a character with like three or four or something in every ability but in the end i mean it's designed to just get a new character whenever you need one so i i went during our two-hour session, I went through three characters, and I think one of them was was pretty crap, and the other two turned out to be quite good. It's a good system to have like a, a short one-off shot. You, you mentioned conventions, so I think yeah, it's definitely something that's designed for for an event like this, not something you're going to play for like weeks and. and longer longer sessions that continue next week and so on yeah agreed um i think that the very rapid character build is a nice feature and i think one could learn a lot from it when i was playing um, my live games here where i live if a character would die i would just have people roll a new character and just i would just tell them just roll your stats for now just do your six rolls for your stats and then start you can jump back in the game and then when you go home, you can finish off your character. And I don't think I'd have ever thought to do that if I hadn't played this version as well. Because, you know, you, you kind of think of when you're playing D&D 5th Edition, you just think, well, you got to build a character and you have to take like an hour to look through the book and choose all your things. And it's like, well, kind of you don't. Like you can, just to get back up and running, you can just roll your stats and jump back in the game and you've got basically everything that you need to know. Yes. The other thing that was very simple here is there are only four character classes, fighter, rogue, wizard, and cleric. Yeah, true. It really boils everything down to just kind of the bare minimum. Yeah, and there's no races, is there? I mean, it's not like dwarf and human, you're all... That's it. It's just the four character classes. I mean, supposedly this is supposed to evoke the feel of earlier editions of D&D, which, you know, I don't know that... I don't know for me that it succeeds because it is so simple. The first and the second edition character build process was not fast. You'd still have to look through a bunch of tables while you're making your character and assign different attributes and percentages and stuff like that to your character. Whatever this was attempting to do, I think it was like either trying to attempt what people thought earlier editions of D&D were, which, you know, I think a lot of people remember things being very quick and haphazard in the early days because people... A lot of people didn't actually read the rules, you know, it was one of those sort of false memories. Or, or maybe it's talking about some other aspect of the game that it's trying to emulate. I'm not really sure, but I think the simplicity is is charming. So, so you're saying it kind of imitates, with the short rules, it imitates that no one basically read the rules because it's only yes. like a couple <laughs> of pages. So. <laughs> yes. So everyone yeah. has almost no knowledge about this game because there isn't anything more to know about, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, you didn't. Here's here's what you did read, <laughs> and I'm going to print that in this book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you lost interest after everything else, so we just won't include it in this book. I mean, the rules of this game, as you pointed out, Benny, are basically on one page. It was page eleven, and that's where everything that you really needed to know how to play was contained. Yeah, I mean, McNallu forgot, forgot to read the rules, and he was into the game in in minutes so he he got basically everything he needed to know within minutes to to play well you know the interesting thing that you just said there Klaatu, is this 
for me very much evoked the original time I played Dungeons and Dragons. And I've just gone and checked and I started playing with the 1983 revision of the basic rule set. And it did feel like that, I'll be honest. It, it was simpler than that, there's no doubt about it. But I guess you play, You would, back in the old days, you, you would have played the advanced rules, AD&D, as they called it then. That's a really good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about this. Yeah. And actually, it was one thing about playing 5e, and it still annoys me, is there's just too much for my poor little brain to cope with, you know? <laughs> I just, I really don't like having to pick up the rule book too often. Yeah, so as much as I like exactly it, exactly the same for me. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I know different. You know, obviously, when we play, when we play, some people love going through the book and poring over it. I'm, I'm just not like that. I like, I like simplicity. So this is actually more like what I remember playing back in the early eighties. Yeah, I'm the kind of person who forgets what he has has read, like three pages ago so i have to reread and reread everything i mean i i couldn't Im- imagine like reading multiple books about dungeons and dragons and still know what was in the first one that's this is really interesting perspective from both of you actually so it's funny yeah i never thought about the difference between basic D versus a D in terms of what you remember because yeah i'll, I'll bet that's exactly the difference like because i definitely hear people talk about old school D D talking about how simple it was, and then I'm looking through my AD&D books and remembering back when we would build characters as a kid, and it's just like, I don't remember it being like this at all. But that was because it was AD&D, you're right. And then it's funny to hear you both say that 5e is complex, because 5e is famously and sometimes criticized for being like the simplest edition yet, or at least in recent history. So it's kind of kind of interesting to hear the difference between true simplicity, which is this game, and where D&D has gotten to where they think, oh, we're simple now, and it's like, yeah, it still takes me an hour to fully build a character. I mean, to play, I think 5e is not that hard to play, like, along the basic rules, but, like, to to remember every single aspect from the book of your class and of your race, this is pretty hard, and I keep forgetting what mm-hmm. my dwarf can do or what what a monk can do and have to reread everything I actually have. And then uh, some some sessions, I just discover something I forgot about for like three or four sessions, and then I use it again. Yeah, we'd never used your dwarf stone cunning until, what, two, yes, two exactly. sessions this, ago? This is one, one of the things. You were both dwarves, and we hadn't used it, yeah. you know, because yeah, exactly. none of us had thought yeah. of it. Yeah, I remember reading. I just, I just forgot because I think that's the problem when there's so many things. You know, you got your your race stuff, your your class stuff, and then your stuff that's bespoke to your character that you build up along the way. That yeah, the real risk you forget stuff that. Uh, along the way. I don't know what your guys' problem is. Padraig remembers everything, so... <laughs> yes, that's, that's exactly the <laughs> point, but he's... I mean, he has... I, I just figure he has more time to spend to to read D&D books. This was just my impression, but I mean, I, I had those amount of times on my hand when I was, was in school, but I don't have this yes. anymore. Yeah, that's, that's certainly true. I used to spend a lot of time leafing through my books when I was younger. Yeah. Now there's the internet, of course, which gets in the way of doing that. The next topic is, which I think we're kind of dancing around anyway, how was it to actually play the character that you, you built? Well, I think, and, and this is the this is probably where I can be critical, and it was so fast, beyond my character's class and name, I, I knew nothing else about my character. So there was no, or maybe if I read the rules more closely, there was some encouragement to think about your background, but I think I could... I don't think there bit, were, no. There wasn't. Yeah. I think I think it's worthwhile. I mean, just the the name of my character immediately conjured up 
an image. Uh, it was called, what was he called? Furlan, Furlian Furlan, von Skank. Fur, yeah, something like, yeah, I don't remember. Von, von Sank, Skank, I think. Something like that. Well, the, the reason that he was called that is because he was going to be called something the Slim for some reason. I don't remember why. Okay. And then I thought, oh, no, no, I can't call him the Slim. That sounds rubbish. He, he's a wizard. So I'll be von somebody. And then I thought, I'll look in some Germanic language, and so the word I chose was actually Dutch for slim. And that's where the name, I don't, I don't okay. know. Goodness knows why I went through this, but I did in my head. So I was a skinny wizard, and I think I say, I did say that I was really into my wizard dress, I think. Did I, did I mention yes, that? Yes, that you was did. A, yes, yeah. Yep. yeah, so I wasn't a powerful wizard, but a very vain one. Uh, but that was it. That is, I've now summarised the entirety of the character that I had in mind. I don't think that really came out in the story as being relevant. Oh, sorry, alignment. Alignment, what's the other thing? Oh, that's uh, right, alignment. yeah. Yeah, sorry, the alignment helped with that a little bit. Cause I was... You had to roll for alignment, if I'm recalling correctly. Isn't that true? Yes. I, no, oh, no, you, I you chose did, to... But you, did, you didn't have to, right? Oh, no, right, no. yeah, okay. That's what I chose to do. Benny, what did you think? It was exactly the same for me, that the character seemed a bit shallow because you didn't put that much thought into who this person actually is. I solved this problem in the end by just numbering my characters. I mean, my, my characters were called fighter number one, fighter number two, and fighter number three. A short number one, two, and three. And they were, I mean... When I created the second fighter, it didn't feel like like a different person than the first one because it was basically exactly the same class and right. just different stats. So it, it felt more like you just played a general type of character with some stats and that's it. Not really a background. You didn't have to put too much thought into what the background story is of, of this person. Um, of course, in if you play a game that goes on over over multiple sessions, it's kind of your, your character kind of develops and if your character dies after like 20 minutes there is not a lot of time to put thoughts in, into their background anyway. Yeah, I think the coming to mind the solution to this would have just been and i mean this is in the public domain so i could actually just add this to the book myself and i might but the the solution i think could be just like a d20 table of character traits or a background you know just like a one liner like your your character is a former criminal your character loves nothing more than gold your character whatever just one line description of a character and just have you roll that as part of the character yes. creation process oh yeah or we could add 1000 radiations or something <laughs> okay <laughs> maybe not a thousand you see this is the thing is is it simple to play a uh, doesn't, or is it simple, or, or, or are the rules simple? They're not the same thing, actually. What I mean by simple is, are, are the rules concise? No, the rules are very concise. But actually, having a table of a lookup yeah. table like that it doesn't complicate the rules. It just makes the rules bigger. I think that's what I'm driving at. But adds quite a lot, and it doesn't mm, interfere yeah. at all with the gameplay because you just do it during character creation. And, and if you make it optional, and they ha I noticed they, yeah. there were optional things in there, then you don't interfere with the simplicity. Yeah, I mean, you could just add a table as an appendix, and you don't actually have to read the whole table. I mean, you just roll a number, and then you read your sentence for for the number you rolled, right? that's your that's your character so it doesn't it doesn't even blow up the rules in in terms of what what you have to read to get started no indeed not what did you guys think about 
the rules themselves, and since a lot of that sort of thing probably doesn't maybe resonate with a player, but like, so think of the times that I had to make rulings as the game master and kind of consider that as well when you're answering. I don't think that came up, but at least it didn't. I mean, that comes up a lot in when we've played other things, but it didn't, to, I mean, it could be my poor memory, but I just don't remember that being an issue. I think, um, yeah, I'm trying to think why that might be. I, I think the more rules, the, the thicker the rule book, the more you get, oh, I think I've read somewhere that this thing, you have to do this, you have to do that. Um, so there's that kind of complication in the rules where you get, like, it's like you get a player appealing to the rule book over the dungeon master. And then the other one is, mm. I guess you call this the common law thing, you know, the idea in common law, create a new law by applying one or more precedents of previous rulings that have existed, not... Um, you know, like one judge ruled in this case, this happened, and another judge ruled in that case, that happened. When I mean, you can bring the two together to imply a new law. Uh, if you have very complex rules, then there are lots of unintended rules that can come from it. And of course, this game is completely free of the latter, um, and mostly free of the former, especially since I didn't read the rulebook in advance. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess maybe it meant that you are probably making a lot of calls, but they were silent, like dungeon master type calls, but they were a lot more silent than usual because we weren't really appealing to any, you know, higher authority like the rulebook. I mean, we had we had a couple of discussions how garlic and wooden stakes affect vampires because they were not like regular weapon uh, or le- regular weapons in this case the weapons section was extremely easy i mean you could have whatever weapon you would like to but it would have exactly the same strength for your type of character right yes you're absolutely right so i was appealing to bram stoker vampires and and Klaatu, you were thinking of buffy style vampires and i think benny was thinking of buffy style um i think i was probably thinking of D style which is kind of a mix between both of those yeah <laughs> not that it, it not that it did us any good whatsoever because it turned out there was a, the vampires were something completely different in this i mean my my main reference for vampires is from dusk till dawn just for for them. Uh, yeah that's <laughs> so, a good one too yeah that's basically whatever that's what always comes to my mind when i hear vampires i think that the rules for me yeah i did feel like they were they were very absent and it made me very nervous about <laughs> making calls because i because i did i think i had an awareness of what you're saying mcnallu that if i if i do one thing at one point then that is going to have to be the same thing that i do in the next situation that's similar and just knowing that i was like building a rule set as play went on i think i was quite aware of that but then again i think because it is because i knew that this was just going to have going to last one session there was also the comfort of knowing that i'm only building a rule set for these two hours, you know, that, that my memory and, and sort of consistency would only have to last that long. But yeah, there were a couple of times where I, I, I remember thinking that I would have maybe appreciated a little bit of sort of definition of what's like supposed to happen. I guess that's largely just because I'm used to be there being definitions. And in reality, it's just, it's fine to just shrug and say, okay, yeah, that that's good enough. Yeah, I mean, generally, generally, when you forget that something isn't consistent with something something you did before, mostly the player the players forgot to anyway. So it, it actually yeah, actually yeah. consistency only matters as long as someone notices, right? If, if no one notices yeah, totally. it, doesn't matter. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I mean that's quite interesting. To me, a good game, role playing game, 
it has a bit of pace to it, and too much mm-hmm. stopping to look up rules is just a to me a, a bad thing. I'll be honest. I mean, in its very worst case, you know, you could have somebody debating laws of physics or something like that. And I think one time, yeah, you put you you just ruled that D and D was not a non-Cartesian space to stop me going on about, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which was quite right. So I, you know, I went off and recorded an HPR episode or two about. Uh, <laughs> on that very subject to let off steam rather than let it interfere with the, with the game. But I think, I mean, you can imagine that, you know, I mean, I, I, I was invited to play a game with physicists recently and the guy who invited me, it was very nice of him to invite me. I didn't go in the end, but he described how much bickering there was over the rules. And I thought, oh, oh, wow. oh maybe not. You know, what's that? You talk <laughs> debate mm. about the gravitational mm. constant and the height you're up in the mountain <laughs> with rejecting crossbow bolts. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. No, I, I'm just joking. I'm sure it wasn't like that. But it did sound that they were a lot more... You know, they, were, they spent a good part each session arguing over rules, which we really just don't seem to do. Definitely know about myself that I like games with a hefty amount of rules and i think there's this sort of illusion that that provides you know that this is a game game like this is a real game like there are things you can and cannot do whereas in this simplified version the rules are just being made up on the spot by one person and and it just feels like less of a game that way because well we didn't know those rules coming in you know they're being made up as they present themselves but i don't apparently that doesn't come through for the player so much which tracks with my experience with playing this as a player uh it is just a, a ton of fun and you don't really think about whether you excelled in this way or that way you just remember the moments that you did something and something really worked out for you and it was cool or whatever generally in a board game just a regular board game you need a lot Mm. of rules and extremely precise rules because mainly the game is about winning and losing and if someone Mm -hmm. loses or wins there will be discussions if if the rules aren't clear but role-playing is basically about having fun. It's not about someone losing or winning. I mean, in the end, it doesn't matter whether you lose a fight or or you win as long as as the whole story around it and the action is is fun. What did you think about having your character die so often, though, Benny? You, You went through three characters... Did that not affect anything for you? Mm, no, basically. N- not for, at least not for those two hours, right? I mean, I created yeah. exactly the same character. As I said, I created the same character with different stats. And so it was like continuing to play with a character who has a little less experience points and I lost whatever objects I found. But apart from this, it was just continuing, basically continuing playing, right? I mean, I would have minded if this was like, well, now your character died, now you have to listen to us continuing the game and you can't play anymore because <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. you're dead on the ground, right? But, <laughs> but because I was just able to recreate a character and, and end up, at the scene of action again didn't didn't really matter i'm curious why did you just keep building the same character like you didn't want to try the different classes pure laziness i didn't want to read through all the spells (laughs) 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 i just and i'm not very used to playing characters who have spells anyway because in our D &D sessions sessions i play a monk and I think I think I never played a class who actually had spells to use, so I just decided to keep this simple because the rules are simple and the, the game is supposed to be simple. Um. 
Okay, let's talk about combat. What did you guys think about combat, McNallu? Well, it's extremely straightforward. Because the actual rules of combat were so straightforward, you had to put more thought, I think, into the other um, actions around combat, about how you engaged in the combat and, the, and, and your planning and tactics and strategy and that kind of thing, which turned out to be very important in this adventure, actually. I mean, a direct assault on the vampire wasn't going to get you very far, as it turned out. Um, in fact, it was going to get you dead, which is exactly what happened uh, twice in in Benny's case, during the story, <laughs> yeah. and only once in my case. So I think my main criticism is that it just seemed awful to be a wizard in a small party because your your combat was a d my combat was a d4 to start with. Yeah. And yeah. you have one offensive spell, which is fireball, which is a good spell. Don't get me wrong, but because we ran the we ran the approach where you can choose your spell at the point you first cast it, and then that's that's you chosen your spell that you have available to you so I chose it both to be firebolt because it seemed to me direct combat was what we needed to do and my wizard was just hopeless um, otherwise you know really none of the other spells were useful in a small party so yeah so I, I felt that was one thing about the game is that yeah you, you don't play a wizard to be a, a fighter play a fighter if you want to be a fighter. To a small party in this game really there wasn't enough offensive spells to make the wizard worthwhile. I think one of the changes that I would make, and again, I might since this is in the public domain officially, is that the wizard can use as many spells as he wants, except when you roll your spell, you have to roll a percentage die to see whether your spell works correctly. And if you roll high, it works correctly. If you roll low, something horrible goes wrong and you zap your friend or you miss and knock a suit of armor and it comes to life and joins the combat against you or, you know, who knows. Essentially, you have access to spells as throughout the whole game. Because, yeah, having one spell slot, I just think it kind of cripples the character or, or at least it makes it not very fun. Yeah, and actually, if you look at the... I mentioned this during the... when we were playing, but... I didn't read it properly, but if you look, there's the optional rule for combat where you can add a modifier to your target. So, and at first I thought that benefited wizards, but it doesn't necessarily because it actually, the target in this game is 10, and that optional rule increases it for wizards to 11 and decreases it for fighters to 9. But it does give, I think, another direction. It gives a benefit to wizards in defense, but still it doesn't yeah. at all address the weakness of the wizard in attack. Benny, what do you think of combat as a fighter? Compared to Dead Earth, we reviewed last time it was very boring i mean dead earth there was the combat was the interesting part and here was everything around combat yeah. was was fun and combat was it was so easy it was kind of you just roll and then either you hit or you don't and as a fighter you hit a bit more often than as a wizard there wasn't a lot to do there wasn't like i mean you couldn't yeah you couldn't like choose different weapons i mean you could choose different weapons but the effect was exactly the same so it didn't matter whether you pick a sword well it, there was a differentiation between melee weapon weapons and like um, ranged but apart from this basically 
every weapon did exactly the same amount of damage depending on your class. Right. Also, there were no modifiers to add to your rolls or, or anything, or at mm-hmm. least not modifiers that would change. I mean, there were modifiers that come with your class, but not something, well, in this case, you have to roll this to, to achieve whatever, and in the other case, you have to roll lower or higher, something like this. or Like, like um, I'd say, like the proficiency bonus or something in in D and D, yeah, I do feel like it's a little bit weird for it just to be. Hey, if you roll a, what is it, a five or a six, or is it a four, five, yeah, or six? I think four, you, four, you hit, five, and you six. know, and it's just it does feel like pretty much a fifty-fifty chance of either hitting or not hitting, and that's and that's it. That's well, your... it depends on on the class, right? As a as a fighter, I, I rolled a D eight, right, and with a D eight, okay. it's easy to achieve a four, and um, yeah. e- it's even more than fifty percent. And McNally yeah. as a wizard had a D four, so it was like only twenty five percent chance yeah. to hit. So it was extremely different for for the two classes. Yeah. I think that's what McNally was was talking about before. Yes, yes, I'd forgotten actually that, but that's that is the crucial detail that made it impossible for the wizard. Well, not impossible, but very unlikely for the wizard to do any damage at all. Very unlikely. Yeah, and it's probably significant to to consider. I guess both of you are comparing it to 5e obviously but benny specifically is comparing it to the monk which for me has always been one of the most exciting fighter classes of D 5e because you just have so much you can yeah, do as a yeah, monk exactly. you can yeah. pick literally anything and it'll become a weapon you can spend a key point and do other cool things so yeah you just have so many options as the game master i have to say combat i felt pretty similar to you guys that the combat was a little bit of a weak spot the monsters weren't well organized in this book i i, I ended up for that first fight where you were fighting a giant spider i had, i chose the giant spider because it made sense for being a creature that was in the forest at that at, in that moment and only after i chose it and started the battle that, that i sort of scanned through the rest of the stats and it's a very powerful creature actually which no surprise, because it killed Benny's character <laughs> yeah, with absolutely. one strike. I think, um, so it was it, yeah, it was very it was very difficult to sort of like come up with stuff. And I, I kind of realized after the fact two things. One was that I probably should not have just I should have just who cares? Don't don't consult the chart. Just in the spirit of the game, just invent a monster, invent stats for it, and just deep down I know that that combat should have only lasted about maybe you know, two rounds. It should have gotten a hit off, and then if you guys had hit it, like, once or twice, then it would have died no matter what. Trying to be too strict to the rules in this setting, I think, didn't make sense. And then the other thing that I realized, I think, now that you were talking about it, is that probably an interesting combat in this context would have been up to the game master to make sure that the characters had interesting magic items or or cursed items, which did happen eventually, for the characters to sort of have to deal with during combat to add that element of of surprise. Yes, I think uh, actually I'm just looking as you spoke, were speaking there. I went and looked at the table. I looked at the stats of the giant spider, and I take it you didn't roll the ap- number appearing no. uh, dice, did you? Good. <laughs> because what you were according to that table, you were supposed to roll a 1d8, and then we'd have had, you know, up, yeah. one, <laughs> up to 8 spiders. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would have been the whole game. <laughs> the spiders, new game would have been yeah. you hunting spiders. Yeah. Or not you, but many, many of your characters hunting spiders. But, I mean, that isn't the... The, the gob, goblin, it's 1d10 times 10, so you could be, end up fighting, if you followed these rules strictly, you could end up fighting 100 <laughs> goblins. <laughs> I 
I think once you reach page eleven, you just stop reading, and like that's that's your that's the game, and that's all the rules you need. So yeah, that's what I should have done. Um, I have down here to talk about the world setting, but it's probably important to note that the world setting doesn't really exist in this game. There, the, the game is about building a character and how those characters, you know, go through combat, stuff like that. There's not really a world setting. The The module that we played is um, by a company called uh, Adventure A Week, and I guess they must release an Adventure A Week. And it was just, it's a one-page thing, and this was the, um, something like the Blood Curse of the Vampire or something like that. So yeah, what'd you think about it, Nick McNally? I liked it. I thought it was very simple, but it was quite evocative. You know, I mean, it's using a classic... You know, creepy house in the edge of town that everyone's talking about. Sort of uh, um, ploy, um, well not ploy, whatever the word is, uh, um, theme, and that made it. That gave it very quickly just enough to, you know, ignite my imagination. So I, I really had a great mental picture of what we were facing, what we were doing. Um, uh, you know, and that's what you need because, like, say there's. There's no big background, there's no big backstory going on here. It is, so I think that makes it even more important that the adventure quickly gets some picture in your mind of where you are. Um, so if it was something more complex or subtle, yeah, I can imagine that just not working with this. Uh, it had to be, it had to, what's the word, immediately borrow something from the from the lore that players are likely to know. In this case, there's a haunted mansion vampire type uh, idea. Yes, this was exactly my impression. When when we started, the first things we knew were, well, this is basically a, a mansion, it has a cemetery in the back, and we're hunting vampires. And basically, this gives you all the all the information you need at least if you've watched a couple of movies of course we we then just assume things in in the world and in in the end we ended up assuming slightly different uh, versions of of a vampire world or or especially the vampires because we were discussing what what kills a vampire and what doesn't right it's what we spoke about before but i mean the, the general setting is most likely the same for everyone and you didn't have to go through a lot to explain to us what the world looks like and how how it works yeah i'm well i'm glad i went that way then because yeah i definitely i was i was aware that we that none of us had any information about the the, the world setting, and so I I thought that a, a leaning on a trope was probably a good thing for such a short game. My other thought was just to just to throw you into a dungeon, just a very traditional kind of like dungeon crawl. But I felt like we were I felt like you'd kind of gotten that experience in the normal D and D game. Although looking back at it, I'm not really sure that you've been in that many dungeons in our regular D and D game. I mean, you w- you went to the mole creature caverns which was a little bit dungeon-esque. But I don't know if you've done that many room-to-room exploration of dungeons in our normal game. No, the, the only one I remember that was a bit like this is the Lizard Folk. It wasn't a dungeon, oh, that's but right. it was yeah. like the, yeah. the Lizard Folk there. That's, that, that, I would agree with that. That came to my mind, too. But, I, I mean, I do like the yeah. the, the dungeon crawl. Uh, but I think that it was good that we didn't do that with this, because that was you know that was a bit too obvious. I like yeah, doing the vampire because uh, yeah. it gives a, a sort of a central puzzle that we had to solve. And, and, and it was quite interesting going at it 
using the the, the lore, which I think quite cleverly mis- would mislead us, thought of vampires in the traditional sense. So I quite like that actually. I quite liked being knocked back once, having to regenerate our characters and you know come back at it. I, I think that the confusion, or not the confusion, but the differing versions of the trope really did benefit because characters obviously wouldn't necessarily know exactly how to kill a vampire either so the fact that you guys weren't sure whether you know what you needed to do to actually vanquish this creature and and had differing opinions on what happens when you for instance stab a vampire in the heart or whatever this kind of even gave the the characters kind of a bit of a personality that that's what we were talking about which which was lacking before so because it wasn't basically it was us discussing but in the end it was basically the knowledge of of the characters who which was which was different let's do final thoughts and let's include in that uh would you play this game system again oh definitely yeah definitely and definitely with young players because let's face it you're just never going to get them following <laughs> any set of rules is it your best yeah. not trying yeah, it depends how old they are i mean i'm talking of my, my daughter who's maybe well, she's about 10 i should know exactly should I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's say she's about 10 so, so for younger younger children uh, i think this is ideal in fact to be honest what i used to do when children were even younger than that you know maybe back down to the age of about five is you know, it's about throwing the dice, it's about igniting their imagination, getting them excited, and you have to keep it fast-paced because they just get bored. If there's too many players and you're all going on about rules and looking up tables, they're just literally going to wander out the room. So this is perfect uh, perfect for that. I think I'd also play it again. It's, it, especially, you could... You could also, not only for kids, you could also use this for, for a couple of friends who come over and if you just want to play a role-playing game and they basically don't know anything about role-playing, like to, to introduce someone to, to role-playing. I think this would be a good a good start in in case you, you can like come up with a, with a good world to play in. Apart from this, there is one other final thought that I'd like to mention. I thought the rules are concise and short, but not very well organized. Because I read through the rules, and in the end, I was like, well, those were, were the rules, but... I wasn't told how to create a character. There wasn't like wasn't like a page where it says, "Well, to create a character, you do step one, step two, step three. You had to figure out from from the rules, and in the end, everything that was important was in page eleven. I wouldn't put everything that's important on page eleven. This should this should come come earlier, definitely before they they list all the classes. I mean, the rules start with listing classes, and then like on page eleven. They explain what, what you do with those classes. So I, I would, I would definitely reorganize the rules. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's one of those things where once you're used to it, you lose sight of what's not clear. But looking at it again after so long, and then remembering that I was remembering a different game anyway. I was thinking of Dungeon Raiders, which is by the same author, but we played Dungeon See, the Delvers, other, right? Other no, we played, we played, we played Dungeon Raiders. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I'm thinking of Dungeon Raid D- Delvers, and so coming back to the rule book and having to quickly reread it because I was thinking of the wrong one uh, made me realize, yeah, like there's no, there's it, it, page one should be step one, roll roll three d six for such and such. Step two, choose your such and such. You know, and yeah, just, exactly. Like, like, I mean, just spell it out, like make it really you, simple. For you everyone. have to roll for for your stats anyway, so why not? 
just mention this at the beginning of the rules before they they list classes. I mean, it, if if the class doesn't matter, what what stats you get, they don't have to mention the classes first. Yeah, the, the funny thing is, I didn't have the, my impression was totally different because I was kind of like panic. Oh oh. Oh, we're playing now. Oh no! Right, and I, and I leapt into the rules and and quickly grabbed the bits that I needed. And okay, I got some advice from from you guys as well. Let's bear that in mind. Yeah, I mean, you pay, you basically read page eleven, right? And then you had everything you needed to know. I actually, well, not quite, because what I did was, I first of all opened up as an EPUB I had to so open up quickly. Saw adventure classes. Well, there's only four of them, so I said, yeah, I'll be a wizard. So then I clicked on wizard, and that's actually one page with. What, yeah, five yeah. lines on it? it says your hit points attack dice and then there's four with really three lines of text describing a wizard so I did that then I saw experience points and leveling up well forget that because I'm creating a character ability scores then page 11 and that was it so actually I found that better in a way than a nice step-by-step guide because <laughs> I could just instantly see what I needed to know uh, and, and jump into it. Yeah, that's kind of the difference, though. That's that's exact. I think that sums up the way that people come to D&D in general. It's like you're either coming to it as someone who like picks it up off a shelf and has no context for anything. You're coming to it because your friends have told you about it and they sort of and you've so you've heard the stuff like oh what class are you playing what what, what's your stats and so you know so you you have context and those are the two ways to come to this game and i think benny's experience was picking it up off the shelf with no context i mean he does have context because he knows D &D, but i mean i mean to to be fair we should mention that the foreword says you should be you should know D &D, and if you don't know how D &D works you shouldn't be reading this at all there was a link to another role-playing game so he was going like go go read this because you don't have any business here i'd forgotten about that yeah you're you're totally right i just i do think it's interesting though like the different the different experience levels and what that and sort of how that gives you an impression of what you're reading i think it's it's good to note and yeah i agree with you guys about the the replayability and the, the suitability for either younger or new players to the game because I've gotten D and D character creation down pretty much to the bare essentials, and it still takes a while because it you know you even if you're there to step someone through it and gloss over the non-important stuff, it still gets bogged down once you start talking. Well, oh, you want to play an elf? Okay, well let's look up the the different abilities of this elf, and oh, you want to play this class? Okay, well let's look at what you specialize in. You know, and it's just all of a sudden people are just like, oh, I thought this was going to be a lot different. This game here, I mean, anyone can roll three d six six times. I mean, that's that's easy, and and then you're up and running. That like that's it's gold. That's magic. So I think that that having a simple system like this for for a quick game i think it's just yep. so absolutely. so valuable absolutely, yeah. yeah i should say this is not the simplest game based in dungeon dragons i've ever played it's it's by, by some measure the second simplest because and i suppose i'm being a little bit unfair here but it it, it um i'm thinking of the board game called dungeon that was I think it was produced by um, the, the the company that produced Dungeons and Dragons. Do you know the one I'm referring okay. to? The board game called just called Dungeon. No, I don't. No, it's 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 very it's highly simplified. It's got four classes, not the same classes uh, here, and I think it's different editions of it. In fact, I don't know if you if you watch Stranger Things, which had D and D in it, of course, in the episode where the the government authorities raid the house and take stuff out, you'll see one of the secret agents carrying <laughs> the dungeon board game under his arm. 
Okay. <laughs> and I was, I was like pointing at the screen because uh, I play it with my kids, um, and it's a great game to play with kids, and they really, really enjoy it. it to anyone who's into role-playing game, it misses a, the whole point of a role-playing game. There's no role-playing. <laughs> it's taken that out, and it's, but it's incredibly simple um, um, and much simpler than this, actually. But So you're saying this is a simpler game, but it's not a role-playing game, game so we're, we're not comparing role-playing games here, then? Correct, yes. Yeah. So I quite deliberately said it was a Dungeons & Dragons-derived game, because it, it has the... It has the it has the feel, uh, but it doesn't have what I consider to be the essential thing about that I liked about Dungeons and Dragons, which was the role playing bit. I do think that this game does kind of um, highlight how little you need for a, a good a good role playing game. You just don't need much to get together with your friends and go through uh, an imaginary story for two hours. Like it's it's just not that big of a deal. Like you could probably do with even less. You could just say, okay, whenever there's a fork in the road, we're gonna roll a per a, a D six and you know and make a choice based on that. I mean it could be even simpler than this probably. Yeah but I, I think it depends a lot on the dungeon master what he makes That's him, probably what, true. what he makes out of it. So you you did a, a great job doing this but I, I think if I if I just run something like this I might end up Having uh, not having the correct ideas or not having interesting ideas to to keep the game going. I mean, you have a lot of, a lot of experience like running lo- role playing games, and I think this this definitely helps. That that's a good point. But I mean, ultimately, it's a group effort too. So um, with the right people, um, I guess in theory, you know, who knows? But um, I mean, honestly, once you start breaking things down too far, though, I start to lose interest again because I'm like, well. Now you're not playing a game at all. Like you're just telling a story, like a what, what, one of those stories where you go around the campfire and kind of add on to the, onto the story that the the last person did. You know, you 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 leave off at a certain point and then let the next person yeah. pick up the story. It doesn't really interest me because it's it's just not there's not enough there. So I think this is probably the lowest I'm willing to go. Yeah, like, like like those point and click yeah, adventure exactly. games where yeah. you had to do exactly the right thing for for the adventure. I mean, I I loved I loved me those. too. Like, yeah, like Mon- Monkey Island. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely more interesting if you if you play a tabletop role playing game if there are different options to what can happen. I know. I, I mean, to me, my favorite, uh, even my favorite moments in games, is where the dungeon master has a moment's pause of silence where they're thinking. I know we've done this to you, uh, Klaatu, is where they're thinking, oh, I didn't expect him to do that. <laughs> yeah. What do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> you, you mean like in yeah, Dead Earth? Like, <laughs> like from the very start of Dead Earth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think, I think I mean, that's what that's what sets the role yeah. game apart from uh, even the best, even Monkey Island, the best computer games, is that there's only a limited array yeah. of options. And, and it, I mean, but I think that's what it highlights. This is what I think is good about this game, is if, if you've got nimble players and a nimble yeah. dungeon master, then this, there's a lot you could get out of this game, this agreed. type of game. The rules stay out the way. Yeah, very much agreed. Okay, um, I think that's the review then. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. 
Eka Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Thank you.